Okay. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Show. I'm your co-host today, Adrian Evans, and delighted to have um, in Portugal, uh, co-founder of Enterprise Sales Club, Rob House. Good afternoon, Rob. Hey, Adrian. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And we're absolutely thrilled today to welcome a guest back on the show, Paul Evans. Paul, hi, how you doing? Very good indeed, Adrian. Good to have me back on the show. So thank you for inviting me again. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you for coming back on. And we know one of the greatest challenges we've observed in enterprise sales is how to lead people consistently deliver in high pressure enterprise sales environments, selling technology. One of the most accomplished leaders we have seen firsthand is Paul Evans. Paul is an overachieving enterprise sales director with 20 years plus software sales experience. He's typically brought into an organization to accelerate revenue growth. This is always achieved by creating a high performance and positive people culture. He has a rare ability to create compelling narratives that connect solutions to key decision makers, enabling them to align with key business objectives. He's a stellar relationship builder and thoroughly decent human being and a declaration Paul is a client and we have worked together on multiple occasions. So Paul, thank you very much indeed for taking your time out of your busy schedule. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Adrian. And, and if, if I can uh, come back with a declaration of my own. Um, okay. we, after the last video we did, which was viewed by, by many people, including some of the execs I work with here at uh, IFS, uh, there was one question about uh, whether in fact, you and I were related. We share the same surname, as in Evans, and uh, and that there was, you know, some some connection that you, you know, your brother or cousin or something. <laughs> that there was more to this than just simply, you know, the the business relationship that we've got. And I do want to assure everybody that uh, this is a business relationship. There is no blood connection, <laughs> certainly in the last few generations. Maybe sometime in the past, quite probably, but certainly not in in recent times. So, uh, so, and I, the exec who asked me that question, you know who you are. So, <laughs> excellent. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. There's at least seven generations between us, so uh, some somewhere long way back. So, uh, should we should we dive right in because I know we've got a really packed uh, packed agenda today. So, first question for us is how important is creating psychological safety within your team to deliver high performance? So thank you, Adrian, and uh, it's it's extremely important. In fact, it's it's profoundly important in in my mind. And if I cast my mind back to the the last session that we ran, which was about how do you do um, big deals and how, you know what's involved in driving big deals, and I, and I think we discussed it afterwards. And I said, well, there's a there's a step before that, which is creating an environment where those sorts of things can happen with the team that you've got around you. And um, I have some, you know, strongly held views about um, psychological safety. And, and this is stuff I've picked up o- over the years. It's, it's stuff I've picked up in various training programs. But I would, I would say that there's, a, there's a, a nascent reality to this, which is that if you consider the job of, of someone in enterprise software sales, um, I would boil it down to we solve complex problems. Yep. solve complex problems with for with and for our customers the outcome of which is that that customer then makes an investment in set of technologies and services to enable those technologies to deliver the outcomes that they're looking for to solve a complex problem it requires higher brain front function to be creative to be innovative to be thoughtful to be empathetic with the client, um, to be able to marshal teams around you to to um, to to 
you know, deliver on, on the engagement with, with, with your client. Um, to operate at, at the high level, and, and this is where, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm referencing material that I've, I've learned, you know, you actually need to look at the biochemistry of the way the brain works, right? So we're, at, we're all animals and we're driven by the chemicals that course through our bodies. And that if you're trying to solve complex problems and you're trying to be creative and you're trying to be strategic and thoughtful in the way that you're operating, that demands that from a psychological point of view, you, you need to have the, the chemicals coursing through, through your body and uh, particularly the hormones in your brain that enable you to do that. And uh, things like serotonin and um, uh, oxytocin, dopamine, all of, all of these it, you know, positive chemicals that um, put you in a place where you can be at your most effective solving complex problems, being thoughtful, being creative, being empathetic, um, being able to behave in a, in a strategic manner. And um, if you're not in that sort of environment, if you're put into a flight or fight type of environment where you've got uh, cortisol rushing through, through your body, which is the, you know, the stress hormone. And I'm not saying that there should be a complete absence of stress. There's, there's always you know, stresses on a day-to-day basis in what we do. But if you're put into an environment where that is the dominant chemical that, that is, is, is affecting your, your, your body and, and in particular your mind, then you will not have the capacity to operate in the way that is needed to solve complex problems. So when I look at how I um, engage with my team, how I expect my team to engage with their customers, and how I would like the organization to support them to solve complex problems for our customers, then I strive to create an environment where the dominant, as much as I can within my power, within the gift that I have in the role that I do, that the dominant uh, chemicals that, that are, are, are within the minds of, of my team and the people that they work with are the ones of the serotonins, the, the, the oxytocins, the dopamines, the positive ones that allow you to create that level of thinking. And so to your question around creating psychological safety, um, I see that as a preeminent part of the role of, of a sales leader, but any leader uh, in, in any, any walk of, of business and life. Um, and if you create an environment of fear, uh, if you uh, create an environment of criticism, um, if, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, one, one where um, the team are constantly feeling like they're on the back foot, are constantly misstepping, um, uh, that then they will will not be operating in the way that you need them to to solve complex problems for our customers. So um, I see that as as a really really important thing to do as a, as a as a sales leader, and it's something that I strive to do. And it's not easy. Yeah, sales is is a, is a high pressure yep. environment. You know, we have monthly, quarterly, annual uh, targets to achieve. We, we have lots of complexity and ambiguity to, to deal with, uh, you know, internally and externally, um, uh, as well as, you know, we're human beings that have lives outside of what we do on a day-to-day basis. 
so 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 managing that is 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 not not easy and um yeah i know that i am not a perfect purveyor of what i've just described however it's it's something that i i strive to do on a day-to-day basis so that isn't to avoid having robust conversations okay okay avoid um providing positive coaching to the team that isn't to avoid um uh you know, being straight with people if if they uh, could have done something better or could have done something different. You know, we, you, you have to face up to that. Um, so it's not avoiding the hard conversations or the hard discussions. However, it's doing that in a robust and doing that in a positive way and but ensuring that you're, you're creating that environment where the, the, the positives, you know, outweigh the, 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 the negatives. So... Um, so to your first question, um, hopefully you've seen what, what, you know, the way I've, I've answered, answered it, that I, something is really important. Sure. But it requires effort and it requires thought. And I think when you get caught up in the heat of the day-to-day of getting stuff done, meeting targets, meeting schedules, reporting on things and so on, it's easy to lose sight of, of, of that. Um, and, and I think that as sales leaders, it's something that we need to be disciplined about ourselves and we need to be actively pursuing um every day that we're involved in leading our teams excellent okay well thank you paul for for that so just so i'm here in there as well this is about you setting the tone for the environment that your team is actually going to work within but you actually taking responsibility as a leader for setting that tone which is which is positive um but it's not just about but open to candor as well and open to feedback as well yeah 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 i think that you have to have that uh, transparency and communication. Sure. sure. And, and everybody does things wrong. So, you know, um, that's, we're human, human okay. beings, creatures, you know, we're, we're fallible. Um, so, but it's acknowledging where, where the mistakes are. I don't want to make it sound too cliched, uh, but, it, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to improve rather than it becomes the dominant thing and you get a downward spiral. It's right, well, let's learn from that course correct and ensure that you know next time around that we we do it the way that gets a better outcome one of the things i've just sort of i suppose continue with the theme there one of the things i've really admired about what you've been able to do is as you've entered a new team is actually shift the team's mindset so so first of all you've made it safe for the team to feel them but also the duality of that then is shift their mindset so they view large deals not just as a possibility but actually a reality for them and I know last time you said if you, if you if you get your team, if their success is in place, then your success is assured. I wonder if you could say, how do you go about that shift in mindset then? Because you've created safety, then now how do we create stretch? So so that that's I think that's uh intersection of two two, two things. One one is at, at a broad level, is around creating the vision uh, of possibility. Uh, and so that's working with the team as a whole to understand what, what's, the, what's the absolute maximum that the opportunity could look like and to start thinking those sorts of terms. So within, within a marketplace, um, you know, for, for our technology, for instance, whether it's the company I'm in or in any companies, what, you know, rather than looking at a, at a single client um, and looking at um, that interaction at a transactional level, so, you know, a customer might say, well, we, we need 50 more users of X, Y, Z 
can you know can you give me a quote Ra- rather than than you know kind of a, a transactional reaction to that um it's it's looking at well what would what would that in its entirety what would the total addressable market for our technology within that customer if they could see enough value in that in the technology we offer mm-hmm. what, what what would that look like um start to think of the engagement with with the clients um, in those sorts of terms, yeah. rather than the here and now of this is a transaction that needs to take sure. place. Okay. Okay. So, so I think the the kind of broader vision, and and then you can look at that across a territory, you can look at that across a marketplace, you can look at that across an industry sector, uh, and you can start doing some rough maths. Say, well, yeah, yeah you know, hundred customers that of this sort of shape and form. That, that uh, could consume this this uh, technology set, and if they're able to do it at the maximum, that'd be you know five million per client. So that's a uh, you know five hundred million opportunity. Yeah, that's the way you kind of think. Of it. So that's at one level. That's a, a visioning level that you can do it at a collective. Then, uh, and this is the I'd say the the where the hard yards are is then, uh, and it requires commitment from both parties. Is that you would then work on an individual level with each of the account execs to really put together uh, a plan uh, for how they could then prosecute that vision within each of their, their respective territories. And so I'm always um, challenging my team to think expansively about you know, how um, you know, a, a larger commercial arrangement yeah, how, what value could the client get out of that? Because ultimately, if the client doesn't see the value, they're not going to spend a lot of with you if there's not the value. So you have to get that right. So it's it's a it's a collaboration with the customer to get to that that out, out, outcome. And so 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 I so I think there's two parts. There's a visioning part that you would do collectively as a team, it's more of a kind of you know, marketplace review, and then you'd work individually with each of your account execs to. Um, Get deeper into each of their their customer situations, understand um, specifically about what's driving their needs, and then work with them on on commercial models that that um, could, could drive a, a larger transaction. As I said, associated with the value that the customer would see. And the the I think the thing that you know I can then bring personally is that because I've been involved in those sorts of deals in the past that I've got a little bit of credibility that I can bring to the table to say, I've done this before. I can help signpost how you can then execute that uh, within, within your own businesses. So I think that's the, the other part uh, around shifting shifting mindset. And, and to just finish off the point, and you made it at the start of your question, success breeds success. Yeah, so, sure. um, yeah there's the, um, I always forget this, but it's a well-used one. It's, you know, when, um, you know, Roger Bannister was doing, yes, you know, yeah, absolutely, yeah. it was he and there was another guy that was a New Zealander. Landy, Landy, Australian. Landy, Landy. and they were always vi- yeah, vi- yeah. competing with each other. And then the moment Roger Bannister um, uh, achieved the four-minute mile, um, it was a number uh, 26 days, I think, or something. It's, it's a, yeah, a matter of a few days before uh, Landy then broke it again. Um, and so, you know, success breeds success. You, if you prove it with the, within your team, then that inspires challenges. You know, salespeople are a little bit competitive. Yeah, it, 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 it proves that these things can be done. And then they, they self-propagate, provided you've got the right environment to enable that.
so you know, I think that the that the Formula Mar was a really good example there, but the sheer number of people over the next four months that then overachieved. But I'd imagine as well, so it's not just that awareness, but then you providing. Well, I know you you, you always provide compelling compelling narratives to uh, as well, but also that coaching element for the account execs raises that to a different possibility as well. I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So um, so. If we look again, just just on sort of broader deals as well, because I think there is this sort of sort of fallacy that we see sometimes that a big deal is is all down to one person. So you know, for, for me, I see um, I suppose four key components to any large deal: the identification of it, the qualification of it, the building of the case, and then the closing of it. Yep, there's sort of four broad parts to any large enterprise deal. How many people within your team could actively be involved? in the whole of that for a substantive deal that is typically seven or eight figures? So I was, I was thinking about this, this question and, and how to answer it. And, uh, and I'm glad you, you've, you've qualified it because you've, you, you'd have different personas, different roles and responsibilities at each of those sure. four, four elements. So um, the person involved in building the business case may not have been the person involved in Part of the qualification and, and closing and uh, you know i've got a point of view about the sorts of teams you need to okay. deals and negotiate deals but at the board level so answering the question you've asked which is the, the broadest level um yeah for, for the large deals you know it, it, it could be legion i mean it, it could be really? of people that are involved what 10 12 more more okay. um i'm trying to think but you know i could make up a number of one of the, the the last large large deals that that um, we 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 did, but um, you know it could be 20, 30, 40 people. Wow. Wow. Um, and you might argue, well, that's a high cost of sale. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying that there's thirty or forty people involved full time on that engagement. Sure, sure. But the the direct and indirect touch points that are involved to pull together um, a large deal, um, it, it it absolutely demands it. It, it it won't exist without it, um, and uh, it, you know right across the, the 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 hierarchy. And I was actually casting my mind back to the the session we did before. We were talking about one of the deals, and I was reflecting on it, and and the fact that I missed out that you know w- when we were pursuing this deal, which was a twenty six twenty seven million dollar yep. um, deal with with the client, um, that you know that involved. Um, exec peering where we got the sure, uh, sure. chief exec of our company to also peer with the chief exec of the, the client that was buying the technology um, and then peering all the way down as well as the, the direct sales engagement that we had um, and um, I would say for the largest deals I can't think of any where we haven't had that sort of peering in place. Now the exec engagement may be very specific and it may be time bound to a particular interaction but then when you think of the people that are involved from pre-sales you think of the people that are involved to support building the business case you think of uh, the people that are involved to support commercial um, side of things contractual legal um, and also then the uh, engagement across multiple stakeholders within the client which again I would argue is needed when you're trying to um, uh, uh, engage in, in, in large deals, then there can be many, many people involved to, to, to actually um, uh, you know, secure a large deal. I balance that with when you're negotiating uh, a deal to a close, 
then the group of people you have involved to negotiate a deal should be a very tight, small group of people. Um, I, I don't believe you can, can, can negotiate a deal with, with, a, with a committee on either side. Um, now, we can't control how our customers choose to present themselves, but from, from my point of view, uh, you, you, know, you should have a very tight um, team involved in the, in the negotiation to, to secure a deal. I don't know what Rob's view is on that particular topic. I know Rob's any part of yeah, I, yeah, 100% agree. I think in my experience and, and having learned from, from, from some amazing uh, leaders in the past that, uh, yeah, in the early to middle stages of the deal, you need to go deep and wide within the customer, within the partner, within your own organization, you know, training, services, implementation, consulting, value engineering, all these di different kind of pillars need to be completely and have consensus across all of those important components. And then when you've pretty much got the deal baked and it's just down to the, 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 the tweaking, then, then you've got to have a really small team on both sides. So you, you, you otherwise it, it creates confusion. So just to have that, that clarity, um, totally agree, Paul, 100%. Good. Can you still hear me okay? Yeah, loud and clear. I think Adrian was just coming off mute. Yeah. Okay, great. So, Paul, I, I, you know, clearly you and I worked together. I think we, we mentioned this in the last call. We worked together at Juniper for a number of years in, in the major accounts team in the UK, uh, which was a lot of fun. We had a lot of success, a lot of growth. Um, and e even at that point, sort of 10, 15 years ago, you, you were a very accomplished um, seller, uh, sales professional. And uh, since then, you know, I've noticed that your career has progressed and you've gone to do much bigger and better things, um, which has been really impressive. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, who has been, who have been the most influential people in you becoming a really effective sales leader on your journey? So, so, Thank you. I would include you as one of those, Rob, and obviously Adrian as well. Um, and 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 I, 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 might, I don't mean that in a sort of disingenuous or, or flippant fashion. Um, I, I think that um, everything we do, every interaction we have with the people around us, we should take that as something that we can learn from. And I know that sounds a little bit trite and a little bit, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm. I'm, a, I'm an enthusiastic um, harvester of, of, of knowledge and experience and best practice from, from the people that, that um, I, I work with. And um, um, what I, I hope, um, and, and hopefully I credit people appropriately as well for when I do the harvesting, but uh, I, you know, I, I would say that le learning from and, and this isn't just necessarily for people higher up in your um, hierarchy. It's not necessarily the the, the leadership, um, and, but I think that's always you know you you learn what good leadership looks like. You learn what bad leadership looks like, and and you try and uh, adopt the, the the values that you think are resonant with yourself. Um, but in in a, a, a sales capacity, um, you know, over the over the time that I've worked. I've seen some fantastic salespeople um, and um, I've tried to understand what's made them successful. And um, I've tried to 
uh, adopt and emulate as much of that myself uh, in the sales role as an individual contributor. Um, and then when moving into sales leadership, uh, similarly, uh, try and bring some of those values into, into the role that, 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 that I'm doing. Um, you call, your, your question asks, you know, who, who, who've been um, most influential? Um, and and I, I want to mention a couple of influences. So I'm, I'm not going to kind of, well, I, I, I'm going to name individuals, but they're, they're not necessarily people in, in the sales uh, performance. But if we look at it, sales world, but if we look at it from a, a leadership uh, capacity and, and, you know, possibly, you know, where people listening to this podcast could, could go, um, one, one um, person that made a big impact on me um, a few years ago when I was setting up the team that I led in, in Oracle. So I had a team of about 40, had five sales directors, and I was leading the CX business there. And there was a, a fellow colleague of mine who's leading the other half of the business who joined from, from Salesforce and worked with this guy called uh, Mark Durand. And uh, Mark Durand has a fantastic job title. He's a professor of, uh, I've written this down so I don't get it wrong, organizational ethnography uh, at Cambridge University. And, uh, and a fascinating guy and, uh, and, and son who I was working with recommended that we should have him to support us. So we, we had a two day offsite where we we're working out what the strategy should look like for our, for our team. And so we had Mark Durand come in and and uh, sort of set things off and spent half a day with us um, talking about his experiences. And what he does is he embeds himself in organisations and almost lives as uh, someone within that organisation. And he's done that in the Cambridge boat crew. He's done it with medical crews on the front line in Afghanistan. He's done it in political organisations and various others. And uh, then he extracts his experience from those and then obviously offers that within a, a business leadership and whatever other you know walk you might want to uh, apply it and he provided some fascinating insights that i've carried with me when i look at teams particularly and and also sales teams and this is interesting so um if i if i talk about the the his experience um, and i hope you won't mind me talking about his experience in the cambridge um boat crew um but he, he talks about the the heats that um, they they go through when they're identifying, you know, who the the rows will be that go into the the final boat crew to to face off, off to Oxford, and so everybody you know does does their their, their rowing. Um, over the years, they've um, as, you know they've they've had lots and lots of people and lots of rowers go go through, and but they've they've been able to establish a pattern here. And you'd imagine that if you're building a, a boat crew that um, and you're looking at the the eight fastest individual rowers you'd say right those that's my team i'm going to pick the eight people who individually can row the fastest because if i put them in the boat together i'm going to have the fastest boat but actually the inverse is true and what they do is that they pick the fastest eight which is the group of people that may not be individually the fastest but when they assemble them as a team, their collective effort make that that boat go faster still. And um, and uh, there's lots of people talk about making the boat go faster. But you know, Mark was in the boat. <laughs> yeah, he was doing it. So I I I, I get, take his first hand experience. And so you know, when I look at 
uh, sales leadership and leadership generally is is that having a team where everybody is is the fastest doesn't necessarily make the fastest team. And so when I look at building teams um, of my own, um, I look for diversity. Uh, I look for inclusivity. Um, I look for a range of experiences that when you bring them together, um, create some magic that you don't get if you hire in your own image an identikit, you know, copy of yourself and you take photocopies of yourself, right, my team's all going to look like this because that's going to be the best team. Uh, it, that's not the reality. Um, and so that's something that affected me very profoundly when, when I saw well, present that. And um, it's something that I, I carry with me, um, you know, with, with the way I approach building teams and the way I approach my sales team. And it's, you know, I, I'd say so far it, it, it works. Um, so the... Um, the other thing that I would say, I'm going to reference a book now, um, and, and this is a, a book um, called Playing to Win. Um, and uh, it's, um, in fact, the, the author has just escaped me now, so um, I'm sure people can look that up. Um, and this was a book that was recommended um, by um, a, a chap called Ross Taylor, who at the time, he was um, at HP. He now he's in a senior leadership role in DXC. And um, this is about strategy. And people get um, very hung up on strategy and often overlook it and don't actually think about it the way that they should. And playing to win, I think, in, in my experience, has been one of the, the most lucid um, pieces of writing that describes how you define and then execute a strategy. Um, and it's something that, again, when I've led teams, I've, I've used that, that book as a reference point because you know, a strategy in simple terms is an idea uh, and then a statement about how you're going to achieve that idea. Uh, and what in this book, they break that down into a cascade of about five steps. But one, having that shared sense of purpose, that shared statement, and uh, uh, sorry, a shared sense of purpose uh, and um, a shared statement of what that strategy is and uh, an unashamed ambition to that strategy about winning um, and then having the right building blocks in place to execute that. So a statement of what that strategy should be, shared sense of purpose that everyone can get behind. And then, and if you read the book, it talks about um, identifying where you're going to operate, which goes back to one of the earlier points about where, 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 you know, where you're going to focus your team and your energies to drive big deals, for instance. Um, yeah. Um, how are you going to do that? What are the, the, the um, capabilities you need to place systems and so on? And um, I would say that that's one piece of work that uh, also has resonated with me greatly um, that, that, I, um, that I carry with me as well. So that, that helps. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and you know, my my take on the, on what you've just said is that you've moved away from the pure technicalities of the sale, through to culture and people, and and getting that right mix. Because I guess having a room full of um, A type players with um, you know self serving kind of uh, mentality, it's 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 you know it's it's not going to scale for you 
once you start to build out a large organization. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting that you, you put so much value into those things. Um, but I think, I think we'll all should grab a copy of that book. Adrian, did you find the author? Yeah, you knew I'd be on to that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the yeah. CEO of Procter & Gamble, A.G. Laffley, um, yeah. who worked in partnership with the strategic advisor, Roger Martin. Roger Martin. Double P and yeah. sales, quadruple profits, etc. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe we, we, we should do a bit of a breakdown of the book and do a, a, a blog post or a video on that at some point. That sounds fun. Um, yeah. So... so Paul, just move, moving move, moving forward on this. So I know that you and I have discussed this in the past about how, how we engage um, our, our leaders and how do we manage our leaders. Um, how should salespeople manage their manager to get the best out of them? Uh, that's, no, uh, sorry, I, I, I could revert to uh, a type and say, well, they need to pr provide accurate forecasts that they deliver on on a, on a quarterly basis, but we live in the real world. Um, so, uh, so the way I, I look at that, that, that question, and if I, again, you know, if I relate it to the way I, I approach this, um, both when I was an individual contributor and then in, in, in a leadership role, um, and without losing any element of in personal integrity or authenticity or all of the, the kind of core values. Um, I, from my point of view, I want to be the leader to my team that I would like to work for. So I, you know, I, I, if, I, if I'm sitting there, I think I'd like to work for this guy because of all these other reasons. And then to the leaders that I work for, I'd want to be the one that they want in their team. Um, because um, of a whole set of uh, various um, circumstances, you know, characteristics. So, and and the, those characteristics are, are different in depending on your lens and where where you're viewing it from. So, if if I look at you know what I would want to you know so managing so to how do salespeople manage their manager so operating up. Um, I would say where I've been most successful at, at that, how I see salespeople have been successful at that, are uh, that you do all of those basics really, really well so that you are predictable as much as you can be. Or if there is anything that comes out of left field, that, that you've already got some parameters around that, you've already got a point of view about how you address that and so on, that you're predictable, that you're in control, that you, you, know, you provide the data that's needed when it's needed. Um, all, all of those sorts of basic things that mean that if you're leading a, a team of people, and, and you know, let's face it, in a large organization, the company thrives on data. And some of that data may be um, efficiently delivered in the IT systems that you've got within the organization. Some of it may not be. Um, and so you might be asked to do reports and do, and of course you'd expect to have forecast calls and so on. Um, so I would say doing all of those basic hygiene factors really, really well so that you know then that your leader is going to have confidence in you that that's just nailed. And that if you get onto a call, that there's going to be no anxiety about, I know this person's going to deliver exactly what I need around those data points. So I think that's the, 
the you know one of the the kind of basic table stakes things, and then um, beyond that, um, I would say that if you're looking to engage uh, a manager in a pursuit in an engagement with a client as an exec sponsor or you know involve them early. Uh, the worst thing in the world, if you're in a leadership position, is to get drawn into a customer situation right at the, the, the last minute. Say, right, I'm going to bring one of my execs in. He's going to help us close the deal. Because that doesn't work. And it, uh, the customer thinks it's disingenuous anyway. Um, and it's, um, yeah, the, 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 you haven't built any relationship. Um, the quality of the conversation isn't going to be um, uh, particularly high level whereas if you've involved that leader early in the cycle early in the engagement you're doing it legitimately you're doing it authentically it's helping to build that matrix of relationships across an organization particularly if it's a complex and a large value sale um, and as a as a sales leader you you respond very well to that because you can see that the account exec is thinking strategically um, and is thinking you know, in a very structured way about their approach to that that sales pursuit. So, um, so a, a salesperson managing up, thinking about a particular pursuit. I'd say that's that's a that's a good thing. Um, and uh, then obviously a- apple on the desk and a cup of coffee when you come in. As I think, so. <laughs> that's a cheeky Danish. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I was just thinking about what you were saying around. Um, Getting getting the your leader involved early in the process, and I'm just sort of thinking that through and, and 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 reflecting on some of the initiatives that I've been involved in. I think when 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 you involve a leader early in the process in the relationship, um, there's, there might not be a really firm agenda other than let's get to know each other and let's try and establish a positive way forward around a vision or a vision alignment. And when when you've got no conflict on the table it's just purely about how do we move our relationship forward it you've got no hidden agenda it's it's all positive so you establish that trust and then yeah. sometime in the future when there is an issue that you need to escalate on you've got some foundations around that relationship so it's not so awkward yeah yeah not not that i can refer to anything that's happened recently of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah Good. So, so Paul, when, when, if you, if you were to, I mean, you're, you're over thirty now, but if, if you were to look back at uh, in your sort of early to mid twenties, what advice would you give yourself with the benefit of hindsight, and what would you do differently as a as a younger seller with all that with all the, the, the um, knowledge that you've you've attained? So the the one thing that I would say that stands out for me and and i hope that this this isn't seen too critically but uh, and I'll, I'll i'll explain why i make this statement is is to be careful about being too idealistic and and what i mean by that is is um yeah a bit like don quixote yeah tilting at, at windmills thinking that yeah didn't I mean, we absolutely want ambition, and we've spent this call talking about you know pursuing big deals and so on. But you know what? In in a, in a, in a sales role, 
And if you think about you know, why people get into the business of, of sales within our industry, uh, which I think is amazingly exciting and, and fantastic. I think we're very privileged to operate in the industry that we do, um, very privileged to operate with the technology that we do, with the impact that it can have on, on, on organisations. And if I look at my career, I've, I've, I've operated almost every facet of, of, um, of, of the industry and every type of business, and it's, it's been brilliant. And I've seen so many companies, and it feels like a real privilege, uh, the insight that I've had to, to businesses right across the marketplace doing this, this job. Um, but it's this you need to balance the idealism of I'm going to do some great pursuit in, in a sales role with a pragmatic realism of achieving a sales target um, and executing against that, that, that target. And um, if I look back in, in my early career, um, I think that uh, that idealism, and I'm not saying don't, don't have ideals and ambitions and, and think big and so on, you absolutely need that, but just get counsel and be pragmatic about where, where you, you focus that energy. And if I go back to you know, the Roger, Roger Martin playing to win, you know, when, you, when you look at the structure of that as a strategy and you look at yourself and say, right, my personal strategy for success looks like this. One, you, you know, your, your vision, your sense of purpose, but then where do you play? Where do you play? And in my experience, you can have two equally capable salespeople, but the environment in which they're operating means that one will be outrageously successful and the other one won't be. Um, and it's not down to ability, it's down to where, where, you're, where you're playing. Um, and so if I was to look back on a younger me, um, I'd say be mindful of where you're playing and be, you know, being idealistic about doing something really profound with, in, in a sales capacity with what's your objective here around achieving sales targets and, and, and uh, you know, closing deals and doing all the things that you do in a sales role. And, and that's probably the thing that I, when I look back on, um, I would have benefited from probably more actively sought that counsel, coaching, and pragmatic advice about where, where you spend your time. So, so just, just to bring that to life, Paul, are we talking in the context of territories and accounts or I, I think so, of business? Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, I mean, they, yeah, it's, it's not, I mean, the flip side to that is that, you know, I've, I've seen this in, in, in my teams that I've, I've led and you've, you've had a, a, someone on a, on a territory and they said, well, I've qualified this. There's no opportunity there. I've spoken to everybody. There's nothing going to happen and they move on and so on. Someone else goes in the next day, bang, there's, a, there's, a, there's an opportunity. Well, then, yeah, that's not down to the territory. It's down to the, the individual. But I think there's a, there's a flip side to that as well, that, you know, that, that, that you need to be in the right. I've, you know, equally successful people, one's thrived, one hasn't because of the, that, 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 uh, the, the, the environmental side of things. So I think there's a balance there. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Well, well, Paul, thank you very much indeed for today. And you know, it's, it's more than for me lived up to expectation. Um, and the sort of the, it's brought to life how you do what you do, but also I think the thinking behind that has been really important. If I can, I, I was just going to do my sort of top three takeaways here, but I, I think there's many more. 
I think, first of all, at the emphasis right at the beginning, just how important psychological safety is. Um, and I think it's, um, it sounds like it to me is the cornerstone of how you go about leading and what you do. Um, with them, I think there's many leaders who, within our community, who are aspiring to be sales leaders, but definitely could take, um, take, take um, some, some scope for us, some insight from that. I think the next piece then about actually doing, doing some of the difficult work and gaining the clarity of what is the addressable market here and starting with what's the addressable market share even within this account and how do we scale it and that sort of piece because it then brings it back to that uh, very fundamental. I've learned a new saying today because you always, you always have a great narrative or some description, uh, Paul, which is I'm an enthusiastic harvester. I like that a lot. I call it FOLO, frequency of learning opportunity. But you know, you you taking and embracing that, and you say every interaction there's an opportunity to learn. If and it sounds like you stay curious enough, regardless of how successful or not your team is. But I'm I'm going to use that one. I like that one a lot. That's all right. I love to quote you, which is a enthusiastic um, harvester on that one. I think the other piece for me was even on a large enterprise deal. You know, saying they it could be up to thirty or forty people. So it, it's showing us together we win more it is the truth. However, the really good caveat from you and Rob there, the fact that actually when it comes to closing and when it comes to negotiation, actually having a very narrow team with very clear um, description of whom is doing what and who's responsible for what. So the message is aligned, um, I think is absolutely fundamental. But I think the final takeaway for me there is about how to manage upwards, managing upwards and almost being the person you'd like to be managed. I think that's that's a great way of looking at it down being predictable, yep, and definitely putting danishes and coffee um, on people's uh, desks when we can get back into the office is only going to work. And obviously, so my final one, sorry, there's been so many, is where are you playing? Are you playing in a space that is optimal, whether it's your territory, whether it's your accounts, whether it's the line manager, whoever it may because we all want to play to win. So it sounds like there's a, there's a book there for me to get out onto Amazon and, and buy, no doubt. So um just want to say thank you so much and, and thank you you uh, to, to you and Rob as well for making today such a, uh, such a success and uh, really appreciate it in every way. Good to see you, Paul. Thanks thank for your time. You. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Adrian. It's been a great pleasure. Pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Really appreciate it, Paul.